This is a Federal News Network podcast. The state and Commerce Departments are both launching strategies to maximize their use of their own data. But they've got different goals in mind. State wants to build up data skills in its workforce. Commerce is looking at ways to help underserved communities. For more, Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. He's got the latest. And Jory, let's start with the State Department. Their data strategy, what is this all about? What do they want to do here? The best way to think about this is that the State Department really wants a data strategy to give it the tools it needs to be in a better position to tackle some big parts of its mission that up until this point it hasn't really addressed so thoroughly. Generally speaking, emerging technologies AI, 5G, sensor technology, cybersecurity. And the only way it's going to be in a position to really take these things on is if it has data at its fingertips and a workforce that knows how to parse that information. And so this strategy really has four big goals here. Cultivate a data culture, accelerate decisions through analytics, establish mission-driven data management, and establish enterprise data governance. And so we've actually known that this data strategy has been in the work for quite some time now. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, back in July, which feels like a lifetime ago, actually previewed the strategy while he was speaking at the National Security Commission on AI's Global Emerging Technology Summit. If Netflix can predict what TV show my wife and I might uh, choose to watch next, uh, I think data can also help us uh, and help the department predict maybe the next civil conflict, the next famine, the next economic crisis, and how we can respond more effectively. I intend to leave my successor at the State Department with strong capabilities in cyber and tech diplomacy, with clear leadership, lines of authority, organizational homes, and talent. And that's Anthony Blinken, the Secretary of State. Perhaps data can help them determine when China will start bombing Taiwan. I don't know. Can't be sure about that. And Jory, tell us more about the lead of the State Department's data strategy. Well, as you might expect, this strategy is being led by the chief data officer at the State Department. It's actually an agency that, while this is a requirement for all agencies, The State Department was a a laggard in some regards in naming a permanent CDO, but that CDO is Matthew Gravis, and he will be the point person for this strategy, but no CDO is an island. He will have an enterprise data council that will advise him on next steps, where things go from here, and ultimately, he and that council will report up to Deputy Secretary of State for Management and Resources, Brian McKeon. McKeon had a big hand in crafting this strategy, and he was walking through some of the workforce components of the strategy, making sure that upskilling is a priority and making sure that the agency is able to hire for these in-demand skills. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, and let's, let's move over to the Commerce Department. What's the goal there for their data strategy? And tell us more about that strategy. Yeah, a really different way of looking at the same issue here. The Commerce Department, a lot of its components are really data and statistically intensive. You know, they have the Census Bureau, they have NOAA, they have people who really know how to work with data. And so that's not really the challenge that they're coming into this with. They're really looking at, okay, we have all of these different components that have pretty different missions. Commerce famously has a mission that goes from the surface of the sun to the bottom of the ocean. And so what are the the elements that are common throughout all of that? And so that's really what the data strategy is trying to tackle here. And that one through line that they have identified is equity challenges, making sure that out of this broad portfolio of people that they serve, how can they identify where they're maybe falling behind? And one little note on 
what they are working on, the Census Bureau is actually working on a toolkit that's focused on correcting sources of bias that are baked into federal data. And if Matthew Gravis is leading the data strategy at the State Department, who do we have running all of this at the Commerce Department? The CDO who's running things at the Commerce Department is Thomas Beach. He's the interim CDO. There's no permanent one named just yet, but he is taking on a lot of the same work here. And he has a, a go- he has a Commerce Data Governance Board, which is taking on a lot of the same work here. Uh, and they're really a, a sounding board for data issues across the department. One thing that Beach says that the Commerce Department won't get around to doing which is going on a lot these days, is he won't build an enterprise data analytics platform for the whole department just because a lot of these tools already exist across Census, across NOAA, across all of these different component agencies. And so it really didn't make a lot of sense for him to fix something that wasn't broken. But he did say that there are some challenges with the workforce here as well. OPM has been working on a data science job description across government for years now, still hasn't finished it. And so that is one problem that makes it hard to hire this in-demand talent across government. And so Beach says that he's generally trying to increase the data literacy of the whole department. We're not looking at everyone becoming a data scientist. That's that's not what we're doing. But everyone can use evidence for decision making at any level of their job. Well, my point here is in government, we have to get it right. But in what I, I hear is that if we can a- advocate for government to adopt and create more competencies in positions, then we can execute on this, right? Right now, data skills is sort of something you do to get things done, but it's not really part of the core competency. And I, and I just want to say that because in the private sector, it's a much different ballgame. And that's Mr. Beach, who is the chief data officer of the Commerce Department. And, Jory, you said they're not looking to build an overarching single platform to do all of the analytics on all of the statistical agencies that are encompassed by the Commerce Department. But do you think they're thinking of ways that maybe some sets of NOAA data, for example, could relate to some sets of census data? For example, climate in this area or that area might affect population and income trends. That is to say, to come up with analyses that perhaps they couldn't do before before focusing in this way. Absolutely. I mean, those linkages do need to happen. And the best way for that to happen would be with that Commerce Data Governance Board, having all of the people who know what data they have, those component agencies, being able to have those conversations and say, here's what I have over here at the Census Bureau. Here's what I have over here at NOAA plenty of examples there, but they are able to then see where there might be overlap or where there might be good data linkages for them to connect on. And a lot of agencies in trying to implement the Evidence Act, which is what all of this relates to in some sense, is program evaluation. And did you get the sense that in talking to these officials and hearing what they're talking about, that a lot of this data will be better applied perhaps than in the past to that crucial government function, which is program analysis, program oversight, program evaluation, not so much to justify funding for a program, but to maybe have better decision-making about a particular program and ways to improve it? Definitely. I mean, the problem has never been that the data... The problem has never been that the federal government doesn't collect enough data. It has treasure troves of it, petabytes and and terabytes of information. But the question is, you know, whether it's any good data, if they can make any insights about it. And so that's a big part of CDOs to have those data-driven insights, have evidence be the 
have evidence be in the driver's seat, really, of policy decisions. And so this is all linked up together here. Yes, because in addition to having a data officer as required by law, they also have to have evaluation officers and they live side by side with the data officers. And I think maybe that's the bridge to the program side of the house from the data and technology side of the house so that the data, as you have described, can be useful. Fair way to put it? Yeah. I mean, it's never data for data's sake here. It's, you know, we have this data. Here's what it tells us about how we're doing now. Here's how we can do a better job. And so those are conversations that the CDO and the chief evaluation officer need to have uh, and work together to really achieve that kind of goal. And it makes for a great cocktail party talk, too, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's a lively conversation. All right. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman, thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Check out his story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from sea to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them 
I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from 
talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is, is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.